So hello and welcome to Tolkien with Friends. Today we're very excited to welcome one of our favorite content creators and very good friends, Callie Cosplay. Hi, everybody. So thank you so much for being here. Um, But before we get started, is there anything you'd like our listeners to know, like where they can find you on the internet? Sure. All right. I'll do an initial short introduction. Um, So I go by Callie Cosplay on TikTok. Um, That's where most of my content is. Uh, But the social platform that I'm really most proud of is in our Discord. Um, We created this amazing community and you can find the link for it um, in on my TikTok uh, bio. It's called "That's What I'm Tolkien About." Um, the the O in Tolkien is a zero if you look for it. Um, but it is just an amazing community that we started to build. Um, everybody coming together uh, with their over really the love of the rings and um, their perspectives, their their hot takes, the debates that we have, um, the pictures we share, the music we share. It's so much fun. And so uh, if you, anyone's listening to this and really wants to engage more with the Tolkien Lord of the Rings community, uh, please, uh, Andy, we should give you a link for it as well, actually, in your profiles. Yeah, um, that'd be and, awesome. Um, yeah, and the Discord is, is the happening place right now. So that is what I'm here to promote. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, can confirm that it is a really not a beautiful place to be a part of because it's like, you know, there are other discords out there, sure, but I feel like it's not as there's some where it's like there's just so much happening that it's like a little overwhelming. But I think that a the people are really great, and b you know there's um a lot of like fun respectful discourse happening in our discord which i guess that's kind of maybe where the name came from but uh it's uh it's a fun place to be so definitely join you'll definitely find the both of us there hanging out playing games sometimes <laughs> yeah. um watching lord of the rings together uh so it's it's definitely fun and you can just hop in yeah so please join us So now before we get into this week's episode, I do have to address the elephant in the room. Anna isn't with us here today because her, our girl is moving and we know how stressful changing houses, apartments, all that can be. Uh, But don't worry, she'll be back for many meetings in the Council of Elrond next week. Um, So everybody wish her lots of luck. Mm -hmm. And I know that it's like chaos whenever you move, but... So stressful. Um, Sending you good wishes, Anna, for sure. So hopefully she uh, gets everything all settled. And we weren't we were worried that she wasn't gonna have internet today. Who knows? So like, let's fingers crossed that her internet is installed and working well next week. <laughs> yeah, we really need that internet, don't we? Like when I move, yeah. that's the first thing I arrange. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like I don't care about the the gas. Give me the internet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm up in Canada, so I do need heat. But after heat, internet is the very next thing. Yeah, yeah. Our apartment is um, the we electric is like through the building, so we didn't have to worry about setting that up. It was literally just like internet and the cooking gas, basically. Yeah. So, and like the heat is already taken care of. So, really, internet was the big one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So good luck. Good luck to Anna. 
where all you're moving and hopefully there won't be too much stress over I know. I, we'll, we'll, have, we'll check in next week and see how it went, yeah. see how she's doing. We'll have to see. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Because that is the worst. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but back to, so good luck, Anna. We wish you well and we'll see you soon. Uh, but today we're covering A Knife in the Dark and Flight to the Ford, which corresponds approximately to one hour and three minutes into the extended edition of Fellowship and until about an hour and 24 minutes in. Um, and that is um, essentially when they get through, are waking up and the inn is being attacked at the Prancing Pony by the black riders the Nas school and then um getting pretty much like over all the hurdles that they need to get through to get to rivendell so that's that's the mindset that's like the framing for for today's episode um, but before we get into this week's chapters i wanted to ask you about like your experiences in the tolkien and lord of the rings fandom i've talked a little bit in previous episodes about you know my coming how why i keep coming back to lord of the rings um i feel like i learned something not just about you know the middle earth and like this made up world but stuff about myself and about our own world that we live in every time i read it or watch it um so i wanted to hear more from you about how you got involved in the fandom and what keeps you coming back to these stories i picked up the lord of the rings i guess fairly young i think i must have been around 10 or something um, when I started reading them, I grew up in the country and like farming country. Um, mm. So I was fairly isolated <laughs> as a child. Uh, so so the Lord of the Rings was just the most amazing escape for me. It was it was what a farming <laughs> farm is not farm. You know, it, there was just <laughs> magic and there was imagination and there was poetry and sort of all this intellectual, um, mm. you know, arguments and, and stuff going on and so um and how old were you when you stumbled across it I, like I I, I, hmm. I want I want to say I was probably around 10 or 11 and mm, and I mean so. I, I had read the Silmarillion also very young um, <laughs> probably too young because it didn't make sense at all the first time no that I read it <laughs> Um, but that's what keeps me coming back and back and back to the Lord of the Rings and to Tolkien's works is that each time I read it, I focus on something different. I gain a new mm -hmm. perspective. Um, when I was younger, I focused a lot on, I didn't care for the love stories. I didn't want like, I didn't want to know anything about the kissing. Um, <laughs> and I just like, I loved the little hobbits and they were just running around. And then as I got older, you know, then, then I was more interested in the love story. Oh, you know, and then, mm -hmm. and then now that I'm older, older, there's, there's more, there's, there's always something new to take from it and to put your life into perspective and, absolutely um, that's just that's what i love about it i just keep coming back there's always something new no matter how many times you've read the same book it's so true it's so true because it's just like chock full of details and you can really see how like i know that people like this gets talked about in the fandom a lot about how tolkien was really against allegory and and i and i think that it is true that it is not written to be 
representative of any one event or peoples or anything, but it is the beauty of it is that it is written to be so applicable to so many different types of situations that I think that that is clear, like the beauty of the story because it's like, and why we keep finding new stuff to it in it, because as we grow as people, when we reread these stories, there's still, there's like a new message there waiting for us that we didn't see the first time because we weren't the same person we were when we were 10, when we were 13, when we were 20, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. Like the family trees, I, you know, they didn't mean anything to me up until very recently. And Mm -hmm. I was just remember thinking, oh, this reads like Genesis from the Bible and it's just dense. And like, you have son, son of, son of, son of, son of, and none of that clicked for me when I was younger but now I understand how those lines are important and it's all just coming together so yeah yeah exactly yeah and it's like I think that there are some of his letters where he talked about how you know people would write to him and like asking so many questions about more details you know and he was like you know I think that and that is partially I think why he made sure that there were appendices in there but he was like you know I there is either there's going to be people that don't care about any of that, you know, or and then there's also going to be people where it's never enough, you know. So like <laughs> yeah. you kind of have to stop somewhere as far as like continuing to edit or add to, you know. Um, but then obviously his son Christopher knew that we were all still like yes and more please. So <laughs> yeah. so then you know he made sure the Silmarillion came out and you know the history of Middle Earth with which has like tons of his notes and like all seeing mm-hmm. just like how he was putting his ideas together and um but I think when we're just specifically thinking about Lord of the Rings um I am so glad that that was one where it's like he did get to see like the full uh you know creation process and like it came out while he was still with us because you know it's we know essentially what he would have wanted it to look like and um I think he did such a good job because I you know I see stuff all the time where it's like the books aren't for everybody and I think that's totally fine um because you know he is a very specific kind of writer you know like uh, Emily last week talked about she doesn't particularly like his narrative style which is why she kind of prefers the Silmarillion because it's more textbooky and it's just like what happens oh. you know okay. um, but and you know he does spend time like describing the landscapes and describing um, you know like every step they take essentially not necessarily so much a <laughs> lot about the of characters. the rock and the softness yeah. of the rain and yeah yeah and I understand that that's not for everybody and that's totally valid you know like you're just as much a fan if you've just seen Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit movies or whatever whatever um, but it, it it is there when you want it you know, and like the extra detail that you may want later, which I think is cool. Yeah. So thank you for that, Callie. That's really, it's always, it's always interesting to hear other people's stories, you know, like how they stumbled across this, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, because there's so many different entry points into the fandom and there's so many different ways to engage with it that I, I just always love hearing how other people do that yeah yeah that's that's it's a good conversation for sure 
and you know that also leads us to the discord because it's like there where maybe in uh you know when the movies were first coming out and the internet was first starting to take hold like there were chat rooms and you know the net was born and and i feel like it's it's you know like the continuation of that like finding community through these stories yes yes tolkien is very good about that yeah yeah it's great um and so now i think we can dive into a knife in the dark and flight to the ford so like as i said um last time we saw our four hobbits they had decided to trust strider aka aragorn and were hunkering down in the prancing pony they knew that something you know they knew they shouldn't go to their rooms to stay and you know something bad was probably going to happen um and when this section of the movie starts the nazgul are actively attacking the inn and the hobbits are uh sleeping and more or less this part of the movie is pretty accurate to how things happen in the books you know with some details being lost due to pacing changes you know like of course the movie has to cut more and move quicker you know not only to maintain the sense of urgency but to save screen time you know like these movies like the extended edition i don't really remember how long that but you know we're talking like three three plus hours each time so um i get it and then like i do think there are other places that peter could have cut sometimes but essentially this section is is more or less right you know like there's like we lose bill the pony and um <laughs> knob the pony at some point yeah <laughs> like, you know bob and knob at the end yeah <laughs> you know we lose stuff like that but as far as um the overall narrative it's it's pretty like we still get the midgewater marshes you know um and the overall journey is is pretty much intact um and i think but the biggest change is really at the end of flight of the ford but before we get to that i like to talk about a few points uh that the books you know obviously have time to clarify that the movies don't that might be good for movie watchers to know so for example we've especially like a couple weeks ago um anna did an impression of the nazgul sniffing um which was super funny and i loved it so much and this begs the question like why do they do that you know like and mary specifically asks aragorn in the book can the nazgul see and i it's not like super addressed in the movies you know what it is that like how they're seeing the world i think it's maybe a little bit implied whenever frodo does put on the ring and weathertop like he sees them like how they really are you know like they're these kings of old and with their crowns and their white robes or whatever uh but aragorn explains it like this to mary he says because essentially they're in the book mary and aragorn and frodo i think they go up to the wet the top of weathertop during the day and they see that some of the black riders are coming from either end of the road they're like uh, several miles away they probably won't be there for a while but they do see these like black figures coming in and so aragorn makes them duck and mary's like can they even see and so aragorn says for the black horses can see, and the riders can use men and other creatures as spies, as we found at Bree. 
They themselves do not see the world of light as we do, but our shapes cast shadows in their minds, which only the noon sun destroys. Interesting. And in the dark, they perceive many signs and forms that are hidden from us. Then they are most to be feared. And at all times, they smell the blood of living things, desiring and hating it. Senses, too, there are other than sight or smell. We can feel their presence. It troubled our hearts as soon as we came here and before we saw them. They feel ours more keenly. Also, the ring draws them. So, I don't know. Do you have any initial reactions to that description of how the Nazgul are navigating the world? Uh, well, the the point you made about uh, not being able to quite see it uh, noon sun is because there's you, when this the sun is the highest in the sky, there's no shadow cast. Mm-hmm. Um, so so that would make sense. Um, yeah, no, I I like how it is described, and it definitely isn't. I don't I don't even know how they would make it visible in the movies unless they put us in the POV of the ring wraith, which right. could be interesting, but, but yeah, the fact that they sense, and it's more that they feel what's going mm-hmm. on in the world. They have this otherworldly sense of what's happening than actually being seeing and smelling and hearing and touching like we do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting thing to, because obviously Tolkien was thinking about like the mechanics of, no longer existing in the world as they once did, like being mostly a part of the spirit realm, you know, that Sauron occupies. And I'm, you know, assuming that Gandalf can as well, because, you know, it talks about how they don't really have bodies necessarily in the same way anymore. Right. Yeah. Not um, corporeal form. Yeah. So he's like, thinking through okay so how are they doing it so they've got allies in the forms of men and beasts and birds um but then they're also kind of having this other sensory they're like sixth sense experience i guess yeah yeah it makes them extra spooky extra yeah and extra powerful that like they can sense things that we can't see yeah, that is one thing that I really liked about the description of the attack on Weathertop in the books. Because, like, in the movies, obviously you have to have lighting and be able to see the characters. And the way that they do it is that in the movie, you know, Mary, like, they're cooking nice crispy bacon or whatever. And Frodo's <laughs> like, put it out, fools. And that is what Im- is implied that draws in the Nazgul. Like, they see the light and they're like, oh, they're there. But really, they didn't see this fire they already they sensed their beings there Mm -hmm. and in the movie you know they kind of look over the top of the hill and they see them kind of swarming in and obviously with the music and everything it is feel very spooky but in the book it's described like they're in this little dell on the side of the hill Mm -hmm. and they've got their backs to the fire they're kind of like waiting but they don't know what they're waiting for they just sense something terrible is about to happen and then it's like it's totally dark but then they sense darkness like even the deeper darkness that kind of rises up over the lip of the still so they're like coming up like i mean just just imagining like feeling a terror coming towards you but you can't see it like the uh, like the helplessness of that Mm -hmm. really hits hard for me you know like the way that he describes the spooky characters in the books is always like one of my favorite things like when we get to shelob's lair 
one of my favorite <laughs> descriptions of a scene ever like his descriptions of the terror and the uh, like horror that is the servants of mordor and just evil in general i think is a really special description that is lost in the books because like the lighting you have to be able to see the characters you know like there's mm-hmm. just some things that like i don't know how you would do it cinematically like maybe somebody else knows but you know what i mean um yeah no i mean i thought the movie version of weathertop was better than the book version because it happens fairly quickly in the books um mm-hmm. and and really like yeah they kind of sh- they're, so there's the fire that's already going um mm-hmm. and i like that whole dramatic bit in the movie where it's like they're still so innocent that they wouldn't realize that drawing attention to themselves they're just cooking dinner right yeah. they want to they st- they're still clinging to that hobbitness of many meals and eating well and being comfortable um uh in, in the movies anyway and then mm-hmm. um and and then then fro- you know them freaking out and being like no we have to learn better we have to do better like we're no longer in the comforts of home um so i i actually think that peter jackson's you know interpretation of that did did it more justice than than maybe even the book did yeah it's definitely more cinematic because it's like we still because i think the book definitely takes more time to show you how frodo and even sam and mary and pippin have fully accepted the danger that they're flying into like of course they like, mm. they clearly don't really fully understand what the knowledge school are but they've had several conversations where they have said that they are ready to go with frodo to the bitter end not even knowing what that means you know but they've they're, they've committed up front and so in the book they're very much like you know listening to Aragorn and like trying to do the best that they can but in the movie it definitely preserves like their innocence for longer I would say mm-hmm. um which I think but you know going back to something I've said before is that I think Peter Jackson does an ex- excellent job of capturing the vibe of Lord of the Rings because of course the Hobbit's you know, in broadly speaking, are the most innocent of the members of the fellowship. They are the ones that have been in this community that has been pretty isolated from the rest of the world and don't know much about outside the Shire. I mean, Frodo and Bilbo do admittedly know more than the others, but um, there there's something to be said for how they take that and then interpret it for like a broader movie-going audience which I think is done really well because I think it would be hard given the time that we have at the beginning to show that they know exactly what it is that they're signing up for. Like there's no time to do that and it, and it doesn't make sense for them to fully understand insofar as like the way the movie is paced. So that's that on that. (laughs) Oh, I just realized I've been sitting here nodding, but um, you can't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> I still have to get used to this whole um, this whole this whole audio thing. I'm like, I'm agreeing with you, but there's just silence. But yes, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's just I just that's one thing that it's like um, I do love about having the movies and the books, you know, because Peter's team they clearly do respect 
the material so much and trying to capture what it is that we all fall in love with, you know? And um, I think it is a good choice to keep the hobbits kind of like pretty innocent for Mm -hmm. most of this, Um, especially given how they're introduced and everything, you know? Um, And I think that that is kind of reemphasized in like a, a scene like this. You know, whereas in the books, they're kind of like ready or not ready. Nobody's ready for this, but um, but they're like, you know, trying to be prepared for what it is that's about to happen, even though they don't really know what it is. Because like, you know, for example, uh, Frodo does try to stab the Witch King mm-hmm. when he has the ring on, mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of cool, you know, for you know, for Frodo, even though it doesn't hurt, do anything to hurt it's the a little, King. It's gutsy, though. It's there yeah, was like were made <laughs> exactly, and then but then in the movie he trips, you know, and it just gets stabbed, <laughs> and just gets stabbed. Yeah, yeah. But for what they're trying to accomplish, tripping probably does that better, you know, because and especially like you see it with Aragorn, and I think you're seeing it also with Frodo that like they they're all having a a slightly different character arc but one that you that you see as you you know progress through the movie so like they're taking more time to show how innocent and like un prepared the hobbits are for this you know and then with Aragorn in the movies they take more time to show him being hesitant to become the king of Gondor you know and they so and therefore it gives him a more character arc but then in the books, Aragorn is, like, ready to do it, you know? He's going about it cautiously because he wants, you know, the rest of men and, like, Gondor to accept him. You know, he's not just going to take it without kind of their permission, in a way. Um, and so I think that that's a... It's, you know, it's... While maybe not super book faithful, I think as far as, like, as in the case of a movie-going audience, you want to have more vulnerable characters you want to have more relatable characters than you can see grow over the course of the films yeah absolutely yeah that makes sense yeah and so kind of like what we were saying in that vein uh there are some points in this um where so so they essentially they are traveling kind of through the wilderness they make it to weathertop they have essentially that same confrontation. Frodo gets stabbed and he's dealing with the pain of that for the rest of the time and that until we get to Rivendell and they help him out. But in the movies, like how Fro- like how Frodo reacts to the wound from the Nazgul is has a very different vibe in the movies than in the books. Um, and like no shade to Elijah Wood, but the way he was directed to play his pain feels really over the top sometimes. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the sounds and like they really like that weird go in squeaking. Yeah, it's foaming at the mouth. Yeah, <laughs> his eyes are rolling back in his head. Yeah, it, ha- so- it happened like very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, in the movies, and and that's sort of the biggest deviation. Like in the books, between when Frodo gets stabbed and when he gets to the fort, it's, it's like a week. 
Mm-hmm. <laughs> Whereas in the movie, mm-hmm. it's like it's very fast. He gets stabbed. He declines in, like immediately, quickly, um, and and then he needs help right now. And so he's like rushed the same night, right? Um, but yeah, that is the feel for sure. Yeah, and like they do his makeup. Like it looks like he's like barfed on himself. Like he's turning into a zombie. Oh yeah, I- they do do that. Yeah. <laughs> They're really trying to get the the sickness across to us. Yes, they definitely are. But I think it might be interesting for, like, movie fans to know that, like, in the book version, he, like, obviously, you know, we're definitely dealing with more time passing, right? Mm -hmm. So he's, and he's trying to hide his pain as much as possible. He's very stoic about it, yeah. Yeah, like he definitely, like, you know, it's, uh, he already knows that Sam and all of them are going to be worrying about him. Mm. And so he's trying to hide it as much as possible. And there's several times where it's mentioned how, like, in the daytime, there is moments where his spirits lift and Mm. he starts to feel a little bit better. Um, And Aragorn applying the Ethelus doesn't happen at the same time as, uh, you know, Glorfindel showing up. So it's like we've got more time in between those two instances. Mm. Um, And so he applies it. That helps a little bit. He's having moments where it's like he's still struggling but he's feeling better but then when we get closer to the end of this chapter he's we're starting to see having trouble with his sight during the day like it's cloud a mist seems to cover his vision mm-hmm. and changes from him feeling better in the day to him welcoming the night for then the world seems less pale and empty so it's like it's a definitely more of a subtle um approach where it's like he's clearly fighting the the magic of the blade you know and like the evil and the darkness that is trying to penetrate his heart but he's you know you get to see it over a little bit you know several pages of him dealing with that and trying to fight it and starting to succumb in some ways um, and of course, like we've mentioned, like pacing, yes, you gotta pick it up. But like, there are some parts where it's just like, it's a little much for me. Like the sounds and the frothing of the mouth. You know? <laughs> it it definitely made him. Um, like in the books, they over those days that he's suffering and suffering quietly, you know, Aragorn or Strider, they're calling him at this point, says many times to Sam, like, if he wasn't as tough as he is, he wouldn't be able to make it through this. You know, and they talk about how tough Frodo is and how, he, uh, like, he's made of hardier stuff than he looks. Um, and, and I think that lends credence to Frodo being a stronger character in the books than, um, yeah. than he was in the movies. Um, and like, I, I don't want to get too far ahead of the conversation, but like in the books, um, Frodo is offered a horse to ride, um, yes. away, away to, you know, go get help. And he says, no, like, I will not be getting on that horse if that means my friends are being left in danger. Like, that's the Frodo yes. I know. Yes. I love that. I love that moment for Frodo because it's, um, he is so dedicated to his friends and and I think that that is going to be like a huge through line through the whole story like not just Frodo being dedicated to his friends but his friends being dedicated to him and um and but like laying that foundation here 
because before because we've seen Sam and Mary and Pippin in the books, you know, commit themselves to Frodo. But here we find it we get to see a little bit more of Frodo committing himself to them. To them, yeah. Which yeah. I think is awesome. Yes. Yeah. But, you know, changes artistic licenses must be made and changes yeah. must be made. It's fine, you know? Yeah. That's why we have both. So that's but, why we could talk about yeah. But that's why you'll you'll hear people arguing book Frodo versus movie Frodo because they are very totally. very different uh, very different characters. Yeah. They they definitely are. And um and I think that there's there's a lot of points where it's like I get it. But then there's sometimes where I wish a book Frodo could have shown a little bit been shown a little bit more. Um in some ways. Do you think he was but, more sympathetic in the did they do that to make him more sympathetic to the regular viewer? I think so. I think that they're really trying to show how powerful the ring is and the and the Nazgul in general because it's like Frodo is so resilient in the books um but mm-hmm. they're, and I think that's why they make other character changes later too, is like to show how much pull the ring and Sauron have in different places uh, through different vehicles. So I think that it's like partially to kind of show um, vulnerability for Frodo and so that he, you know, they're, they're setting it up to show that like, because at this point we don't know if he's gonna go all the way to the Mordor or not with this. Right. Yeah, we were just but, going as far as Rivendell is the plan. Yeah. Yes, exactly. And showing how hard that it will be essentially. I think that that's what they're setting up. Um, but I do wish that there had been like just a little bit... I think there are certain nods that they could have done to some more book Frodo-y lines um, that we can probably talk about later, um, particularly when it's just him and Sam. But uh, but that's fine. It's all right. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but so that brings us to so Frodo being on the horse brings us to really like the biggest change in these chapters, which is switching out the elf Glorfindel uh, for Arwen, and. This change is um, something I guess we can briefly go over, like how it's different. So, mm-hmm. um, where Arwen shows up when they still seem to have a, while, a far to go, you know, to the Ford, and Glorfindel shows up maybe like a few. So he travels with them for a little bit, puts Frodo on his horse. They're able to pack up more of their bags onto build a pony. And they're able to walk lighter. They feel better. Frodo gets a little bit of, you know, elf magic a little bit from Glorfindel, making his wound feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. And then it isn't until about a mile away from the ford that the enemy surrounds them, more or less. And he... And Frodo, again, to his credit, tries to... Do you remember this? That he's he tries to... He's on the horse, but he hesitates to tell the horse to go. And he, like waves his sword as if he's about to stand up to the freaking Nazgul and then Glorfindel's like no go 
like, and he says some elvish to his horse, and then the mm-hmm. horse bolts and is able to cross the river without getting caught by the Black Riders. Um, and so Frodo is alone at that moment when he crosses the river and tries to correct, yeah, tries to like say like go back to Mordor, and they're like to Mordor we will take you. <laughs> yes, come with us. So yeah, so yeah, so what I remember was yeah so they're traveling and they find Glorfindel on the on the road because he's been looking for them yes um, because Elrond kind of knows something might be up so he sent out riders um and so they find him and he he rides with them for I think it's a few days actually um yeah, and, sure. and they're trying to do their best uh for Frodo but even even the wound is too much for Glorfindel's elven healing abilities and they know they need to get him uh to Rivendell and then, so when the writers do show up, Frodo turns around, and I read it not so much as him actually wanting to save his friends, as as mm-hmm. the nine were calling to him and 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 beckoning him to to stop and not to flee them. Um, yeah. But he's able to fight that instinct again, um, mm-hmm. and then and then you have Glorfindel yelling "Nodalim Asfaloth!" over to you know Nodalim is like ride fast, ride hard. Um, I actually learned some Elvish in my nerdy days. Gosh, I love you. <laughs> but yeah, that's so, the best. <laughs> so yeah, so he 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 tells so Glorfindel tells his horse and, and the horse takes off with Frodo and just it's just Frodo like hanging on for dear life to this horse and yeah. um, in the books he doesn't even know how the horse is able to cross the ford but he just is on the other side in the racer you know and so they're facing each other. Um, mm-hmm. across this river, and he's like worried about like he's like, well, I just crossed it so easily. Like, what's to stop them? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and what is to stop them? Mm-hmm. So <laughs> this is where later we find out that uh, well, we see it happen, but later we find out that it's there's like Elrond's magic that helps cause the flooding of the ford, and and because the they haven't actually gotten that far away from the rest of their group it's like only three of the Nazgul that are actually like overwhelmed by the flood and the rest are on the other side like whoa man like Mm -hmm. we're not going that way and then they come up behind him with fire and scare the horses to jump into the flood and that's how we're able to get rid of all of them you know essentially for now uh, and kind of ease that danger but then Frodo just like passes out on the other side of the bank Yes. And, and then, then and then chapter. it ends. <laughs> yeah. 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 Very so, dramatic ending. Yeah. Yeah. So but and then Arwen um is added for the movies mm-hmm. and um to me this is so I know that uh Glorfindel has a lot of backstory for Tolkien. He's one of the elves um in the Silmarillion. He what was it? He fights in, um, so he fights. Gondolin, uh, yeah, the battle for Gondolin, and um, yeah, Glorfindel is essentially it's sort of a mirror of of Gandalf's story, uh, which we don't know yet. I guess. <laughs> I'm sorry if I'm doing. I don't know. Spoiler alerts. Do we? Do no. This? Yeah, we we reference other parts of the. We okay. if you're listening to this, we assume you've seen the movie. <laughs> so it's it's okay. We're, we're hoping you're not watching it hour by hour every week, <laughs> right? <laughs> 
Uh, but yeah, so we've already talked about Treebeard and stuff. Okay, so. good. All right. Uh, yeah, so Glorfindel is fighting, um, fights a Balrog, uh, kills the Balrog, but as the Balrog is following into its abyss, um, grabs Glorfindel by his glorious hair which which <laughs> Tolkien goes on about Glorfindel's beautiful hair um, which ended up being his downfall uh, so the yeah Balrog grabs him by the hair and um, yanks him down with him and he dies um, and is uh, eventually um, brought back uh, reincarnated I guess as we would say but brought back by the Valar um, because they thought that it was very brave of him to sacrifice himself um, for, for all these people so Definitely parallels there, but yeah. So this the Glorfindel that we meet um, in in the trilogy is is kind of like a two point oh. Yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah, that's something we've talked about uh, before. Is that the elves? Their lifespan is tied to the lifespan of the Earth. So mm-hmm. when they, you know, if they are killed or they die, they go to the halls of mandos in valinor um which obviously like their physical body doesn't go anywhere uh but their spirits do and glorfindel is one of those rare cases where he chooses i think they you know they allow him to uh take uh that corporeal form again uh but i don't think a lot of elves even want to do that um (laughs) is like my understanding (laughs) no i think yeah once they leave for Valinor, they're pretty happy there. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's pretty. It's a pretty rare case, and you know, and I and I do know that that backstory is super in, intriguing for, especially for folks that have read the Silmarillion and like have made that connection. Um, but when you think about it, you know, Tolkien knew that the Silmarillion, as far as he knew, was never going to be published. He'd been told oh. as much by the publishers you know they didn't they're not interested um it's too it's too much <laughs> no one's um, gonna read that <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> and even like lord of the rings was too long and they had to cut it up into three books because of like printing issues you know so i feel like that was just like an easter egg for himself you know like oh i'm gonna put glorfindel yeah, in here, put him in here but yeah. but as far as he knew like no, he was never going to be explained as to who Glorfindel was. And he doesn't, you know, super play a part in, like, the broader narrative later. So, to me, no. it yeah. it's, like, makes a ton of sense to use this moment to introduce Arwen. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, we know that he had a bigger plan for Arwen. And I, and I think it's, like... Uh, especially for the way that they were portraying Aragorn, you have to have Arwen there. She's like a huge driver for a lot of his, the things that he does. And she is, you know, there for him and like, you know, they consult each other a lot in the movies Mm -hmm. and in more, you know, there's more of that in the appendices, but for whatever reason, Tolkien didn't put it into the books, but he could have, because he obviously knew that it happened because he has it in the back of the return of the King. Um, so I love using this moment to introduce her as it also, you know, you, ha- you, you, they just briefly speak to each other, Arwen and Aragorn here, but it's, and we get to learn more about her as time goes on. But it, I also love that it ties her more to Frodo and the journey overall, because um, she's important to 
the success of Aragorn and also, therefore, the success of the whole fellowship, I would say. So I love using this moment to introduce her and to give her kind of her own, like, badass moment. Oh, yeah. It was a good moment. It was, you know, as a young girl watching, this was the moment. Yeah. Because, I mean, we see Galadriel at the end of the movie. And then we get Eowyn later, who is great. Um, She, I mean, it's like, what? We're an hour, 20 minutes into this movie before we get like a a female character (laughs) yeah it's like about time you know it's about time yeah um i know this is like a extra side detail but i recently found out that not over the course of all the movies i mean or or the books none of the main three female characters actually speak to each other is that terrible (laughs) is that weird i mean like i mean adwin and galadriel it's a grandmother and she never i know i mean yeah, what a so... missed opportunity to have Liv Tyler and Kate Blanchett in a scene together. I know, right? They could wow. have. Yeah. Um. So no, I mean, I like a hundred percent am uh, was there for Adwin's, you know, shining introduction moment. It was, it was very, it was very important. And um... and I also think it makes sense because, could you imagine? Okay, so wipe everything you know about Lord of the Rings from your brain for a second, and you're oh. in this. <laughs> And you're and you're in the theater, and you see her show up. It's very awesome. It's she's beautiful and one lovely. But mm. then, could you imagine juxtapose like you know nothing, and then for someone to be like, oh yeah, Frodo's supposed to cross the river and chase these Nazgul by himself. I just don't think, especially for the way they've laid out Frodo's character, that he movie Frodo would not be capable of it. If that makes sense. I don't I think the cognitive dissonance of having Frodo do that by himself would be too strong for most moviegoers. Yes, so, it would be it would have been very strange, yeah. So I think it makes sense to have Arwen escort him and kind of give him that elvish protection that she can. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I it's especially because the elves that we see in the woody and wooden in like the shire they're cut already so this is like our yeah. first real experience with an elf and so i think that she does need to have like a stronger presence um so i, I think it makes sense to have her go with him and to help him um and you know they explain it as like she's a faster rider than aragorn which i think is cool and you know further to that point if her and Aragorn's story is supposed to mirror Baron and Luthien from the Silmarillion, we know that, I don't know how much, I don't even remember if we've talked about this yet, but essentially Baron and Luthien are this other story of a mortal man and an, you know, an elf falling in love and overcoming a lot of stuff together. And in that story, Luthien is a total badass. Like she, defeat Sauron with you know and yeah she fights him away. too yeah and she does so much in that story and so I think even more so it makes sense to have Arwen stand up against the nine um in the movies because obviously no movie fan is going to know that they're really I mean they they kind of allude to it a little bit they in the extended edition they have Aragorn sing a little bit of the lay of Luthien but um, if if we are just talking about capturing the vibe of Tolkien, 
I think this totally does it because if Arwen is like is the second coming of Luthien, then she should have these epic moments because Luthien has so many. Yes, absolutely, and so so does her mother, Melian, right? I mean, mm. oh yeah, she's yeah. one of my faves. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. But um, yeah, no, the women are you know do tend to be very strong characters, so why not Adwin? Yes, exactly. Yeah. And it's I don't really know why Tolkien didn't like write it in the same way um, when he when we see so many awesome women in. Silmarillion when you know that he's already thought about all of that but I'm glad that they did it for the movies yes and I think Tolkien would have been glad too I think so too and you know like he retconned things all the time so I do I think there's a part of me that even if Tolkien didn't love everything that they did I think there are a lot of things that he would have liked I think so because you know it's there I think there's like a I don't even know if this is real because you know how the internet takes quotes and then like changes them and, uh, uh, and yeah. implants the wrong thing in our brain. But I mm-hmm. think there is something to where Tolkien didn't think that they could, like he sold the rights to Lord of the Rings thinking they couldn't really make it, you know? <laughs> but I do think there's things like, like the moment when Aragorn picks up the sword that stabbed Frodo and it kind of like uh, turns into smoke. Yes. in the movie yeah that is that is like a very true description of how it fades away in in the book oh yeah that's exactly what they do in the book yeah um and no so I think that blade we- that pierces the the which the, the dead king can something like that yeah yeah so it's like the way that it just kind of like smokes out and like is gone and there's just the hilt left i think that like obviously writing that you can imagine that but i you know especially thinking about movies in the 50s or 60s of course they couldn't that he of course he wouldn't think that that would be possible but then to be mm. able to we see stuff like that actually happen in these movies and i think that that's one thing that's really really cool that is cool i hadn't considered that it's a good point i like that so so i think that uh you know in defense of arwen taking glorfindel's place i think that there's a lot of reasons to be excited about it and obviously, like, you know, 20 years ago, I know that there were more fanboys on the internet that were upset about it. And now there's more people on it, uh, more people that wouldn't even question it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and that's kind of the cool thing about how <laughs> progress can be made. Like, you just, mm-hmm. just make the change and some people are going to be upset, sort of like the new series that's coming out. I know. But, you know, if you just, just stand by your decisions and, and people will eventually, it'll, it'll just you know, pass into memory and yeah, exactly. It and it's thing. like, it shows how, like, if you can write it well, and if you can show it, you know, like make it make sense in the story, then who cares? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and Glorfindel, like, as we just went through his backstory, that would have been, so, I mean, it was sort of the same choice to cut out Tom Bombadil. It just, mm-hmm. they're, they're amazing, rich characters. Um, but, in terms There's of what they time. contribute to the actual trilogy um, and that specific mission of the yes. fellowship, uh, you know, the the movie ad- adaptations were, I think, appropriately made. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah, and, yeah, and then I think that brings us to um, talking about Baron and Luthien mm-hmm. in. Um, 
in the extended cut, we do have a scene where, uh, you know, in the in the movie, it's just Aragorn kind of humming it to himself, and Frodo's like, "Who are you, who are you singing about?" And he just gives like a brief one liner. Um, Corky, where are you? Do you hear I, him? You're crying, yeah. <laughs> Corky. He's like facing away from me at the other end of the room and cry. I'm like, I can't help you. <laughs> like, come over here and I'll pet you. Oh, he's just being a little drama puppy. Corky, are you being dramatic? He's in his feels. Have... Am I the drama? Is it me? <laughs> yeah. Oh, big stretch. Oh, you have to say that, right? If you don't, <laughs> if you don't say big stretch when your dog stretches, you're a sociopath. It's not a stretch. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I went there. I went there. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> <laughs> he got up and then he left. Whatever. Anyway, um, so Aragorn's kind of singing it to himself, but in the mo- in the books, he um, they're basically like, "Tell us a story, Aragorn. We're very scared. Make us feel better." <laughs> and he tell and he you know kind of chants. Um, the story uh, or like part of the lay of Luthien, the poem, and then gives them a little bit of a synopsis afterward. Um, and it, and it does granted leave out a lot of stuff. Like there's no mention of Sauron in the story and there's no mention of like, Huan. I don't know how to say the dog's name. Huan? Do you know? Huan? Huan? I don't know. Yeah. The, the, the accent dog. is on the A, so we would pronounce the A specifically. Huan. Okay. Aragorn sings three pages, three entire pages of song about Luthien, and half of it is about her hair. Like every verse, every <laughs> every single verse references her hair in some way. That's so funny, but that's you know, so in the, well, that's how he the, wrote. <laughs> that's yeah. how he wrote. And yeah. in the story, you know, in the Silmarillion, there is a part where she makes a coat or cloak out of her hair, so that she's able to use, so that she can't be seen. Is, are you thinking uh, of the girdle of Melian, her mother? No, like remember oh, no. when um she escapes, like Baron goes off to steal the Silmarillion, and Luthien desperately wants to go with him, but Thingol puts her up in like a like a treehouse or something. Yeah, and, yeah. He's like, oh, I said he's the, like Thingol was the worst guy to have for a father-in-law. Honestly. Like, if yeah. anybody thinks it's hard to ask for their current partner's hand, like, try going to Thingol and asking for his daughter's hand in marriage. That was, that was, that was, yeah. You're like, oh, yeah? You want to marry her? You have to go find the most rare piece of jewelry and steal it from the most evil being. The biggest the baddie universe. out there. Yeah. <laughs> and then you'll be worthy. Yeah. Yeah. You know. And he would not have been able to do that without Luthien. He would not have. And no. that's why it's such a fantastic story. Yeah, it's one of and my favorite parts of the Silmarillion for sure. They should make some sort of visual representation of it. Who who would and do that, that? And that is what I was thinking about. So if we think about what the Rings of Power is technically using, right? They're yeah. mainly they're mainly getting it from the appendices, like the timelines, like the the high points of the story, and then they're gonna fill in a lot of it right yeah. but then um so yeah there's like if that's I, true there's like this much of the of it that they're like accessing it's insane of this whole it's book. so tiny yeah it's, it's so little people don't understand that when they criticize the show 
exactly exactly yeah it's not gonna be what lord of the rings is as far as like being able to take exact passages and turn it into dialogue in a movie you know or in the show Mm -hmm. um but if they're able to make season upon season out of so few pages why couldn't we have a baron and luthien movie based on what we get in lord of the rings because if people have the rights to it if that's the only thing that we're able to get the rights from i think it's possible it may what not would be it ex- take to get the rights to this like the actual baron and luthien the full oh i don't know because it it definitely seems to me like the tolkien estate is holding most of that pretty close to the chest yeah and and maybe it depends on how well rings of power does okay um because they're all, they're clearly working with the tolkien estate and i think that they probably are getting right you know getting some things that they can use on an ad hoc basis you know um, it, it, like, that's just it a would... theory though no confirmation they're only confirming that they have the hobbit lord of the rings and the appendices hobbit as lord of the rings and the appendices okay okay well we'll we'll be we've waited uh what how many the better part of 30 years for stuff so you know yeah. i'm just gonna keep waiting but i mean baron and luthien is a fantastic fantastic story um you know there's there's love and if there's, there's jealousy anything, betrayal there's a there's a talking dog it's perfect <laughs> it's got all the ingredients <laughs> yeah. so i'm just putting it out there that like if that maybe even if they don't hand it over everything i think that there is an argument to be made for a baron and luthien movie or at the very least, a reference to Baron and Luthien, and maybe a little flashback or something in the, in the show. They deserve a heavy nod for sure. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and so, yeah, and and that's the story from how we get the whole half elven thing, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm, it's so mm-hmm. it's very important to the legendarium. Yeah, right? it's, in, in it's starting huge. that whole line, and it's like. You know that they're going to try to make as many nods as possible to the Lord of the Rings that m- so many people know and love. Mm-hmm. So, fingers crossed for a Baron and Luthien reference in the show, and then potential. And then I think there is an argument to be made. I think that you could potentially make a movie out of the tiny bit that's in here. It wouldn't be like the exact same as we know it, but I think it. There's, I think that there's potential. It would mostly be about her hair, as I just said. <laughs> <laughs> We'd have to get away from... Because then there's know. also the little bit that Aragorn explains to them after the fact. So, yeah, I don't know. Just putting it out there. Maybe, maybe. It, it, you're, yeah, it would. I would be so happy to have that. And when they do, you and I are going to meet right here and we're going to, we're going to talk about it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I'm ready for that. Yeah. But anything, anything else you wanted to talk about for this no, episode? I, I think that this is that's pretty much. I mean, essentially, if you've only seen the movie part of this, you've pretty much got it. You know what I mean? That we've talked about the big changes, um, and so next time we'll be talking about many meetings, the Council of Elrond. We'll finally get to see Rivendell. We'll finally get to talk about what the heck uh, Gandalf has been up to this whole time. 
Um, you know, they do they do show little bits, little sneak peeks of what's going on in Isengard in the movies. Like there is a part technically in this section of the movie where he uh, they're, they're showing them ripping down the trees and you do see Gandalf catch that moth and do a little whisper and send it on its way. <laughs> yeah, and, and like, I know this is just a little aside, but on their, between um, Bree and Rivendell, they find, I don't know if you remember from the book, they find a rune, a stone with a G rune on it. Yes. And so, yeah, in the books, we're kind of thinking... Gandalf was here a few days ago, so we're still keeping a bit of tabs on him in the book. But in the movies, mm-hmm. yeah, we're just we're totally, totally removed from his storyline. So yeah. I like I, I mean, like this format that you're doing books and movies, and it's sort of it's it's a nice way to bring everyone together and on the same page. It's neat. Yeah, yeah, that's the idea. Because it's like you know you don't have to know anything about the books to be a fan. I think I think that there's. A lot that you're given in in the movies, or even if you just maybe you're a big fan of video games, and that's cool too. They go, they do a lot actually. They do a lot of. There's a lot that you can learn from them and stuff. um, Yeah, so you know, there's like a mix of like canon and non-canon stuff in the video games. I think. Um, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But so you know, I just thought it would be interesting to. Obviously, we don't go like line by line of changes that were made because that would. We would be here for hundreds of years. <laughs> It'd be a very but, dense podcast yeah. if you did that. Yeah. But, you know, just picking out the things that I think are interesting or, you know, maybe deserve a second look. Um, it's kind of the whole idea. For so. sure. Well, thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much for joining. Yeah, this was a lot of fun. And it's, I, really, I know, just love talking Tolkien with people. It's It's been something that, like, it's been a very personal love and kept mm-hmm. <laughs> personal. And now it's just like, yeah, since since I got on TikTok and started meeting and, and building Absolutely. this community, it's just, it's all coming out and it's great. And it's, it's so much fun. Yeah, because it's like, you know, I think that, I don't know what it is about. Maybe it was something about the pandemic that we all kind of went back to those like comfort things that we, you know, those things that we all loved maybe mm. more or less by ourselves. Because I feel like, the Tolkien community, like I wasn't like there are people I followed on Twitter or whatever, like especially like some artists that I thought did some really adorable renderings of things from mm. the stories. But mm-hmm. um, you know, I wasn't like involved in the fandom per se, as far as me just like, you know, watching the movies every year and re- you know, that kind of thing and like obviously talking my husband and my friends ears off with Yeah, basically. yeah, being like the one person in the friend group. Like I'm the yeah. Lord of the Rings person. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So so it's been really you know, fun to connect with more folks that are that love it as much as I do. And obviously there's been like, you know, uh, give and take of that. There's some people that like maybe love it too much or maybe don't think about it the same ways that I do um but I think that there's been like especially like in the discord for example a lot of you know like-minded folks that are interested in more or less the same parts of it and it's fun it's fun to talk about it is definitely is yes and I look forward to hearing more of your episodes and your chats and and uh I have actually a can can I can I talk like yes please 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 yeah so um a mutual friend of ours actually uh on TikTok is new better do better um we just started a podcast since there can't there can never be enough Tolkien podcasts I don't think so um so many different takes so we just released our first episode today I am so excited and so yeah so I look forward to hearing 
hearing more from you and maybe you look forward to hearing more from us. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I think this is going to be really fun, you know, back and forth. Is there like um, anything people should know about the podcast before they dive into the first episode? Um, no, not really. I don't think uh, we're we're doing things uh, maybe not in chronological format. So our first okay. episode, uh, we talked about the jewelry. Because I, oh, I, you know, nice. that's a big part of my cosplay was um, collecting all the jewelry. And that's how I have shown my love for Lord of the Rings is by buying all the merch. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so, we, so we just had this hour long, amazing conversation of all the prettiest jewels in Middle Earth. And the next episode, I think we're going to focus that. on music. So, so yeah, we're just kind of um, going by topics. Uh, we're planning on having guests all the time. Um, from the community because like I said it's just so amazing and everybody has so many good ideas and not necessarily the platform to share them on Um, Mm -hmm. so those of us who are lucky enough to have a platform um, I'm just using mine to share it and and to have everybody on there and and hearing everybody else's voice Uh, so so we'll base our episodes also around our guests and like what angle and knowledge they're bringing to the episode that's awesome yeah so yeah, listen to right. all of the Lord of the Rings podcasts. They're all great. <laughs> yeah, and I think it's great. I mean, it's great to just have more perspectives on the thing because there's, I feel like there's been too much of the same for a long time, which is probably why I was more disengaged as far as like participating in the fandom per se and just like mm. harboring my own love for it because I pretty much knew what everybody was going to say, but now I feel like I've met all of these great people with all these different backgrounds and perspective, you know, like there's people that have, um, that I've just been able to learn a lot from. And I think that, you know, Nubeta and yourself are two of those where they, you have great perspectives on the world and, uh, I can't wait for people to hear it. Yay. Thank you. I'm also excited. So excited. Everything's exciting. <laughs> yeah. It's a good time. It's a good time to be a Tolkien fan. Is all it I'm is. Saying. It is. Yes. Yes. I would agree with that. Yes. So be sure to join the discord. Um, that's what I'm talking about. And, you know, be sure to follow Callie on TikTok and uh, new better do better as well. I'll definitely leave those inf- information in the description as much as possible. Um, and uh, hope to see you around. And we'll definitely see you next week for many meetings in the Council of Elrond. That's a big one, so don't miss it. (laughs) I wouldn't miss it for the world. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, see you then. Thanks so much for joining us as we brain dump Lord of the Rings into your brain. Thank you, everybody. Have a good week.